The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's sermon is the first half of a message preached by Elder Buddy Abernathy back in 2017 entitled, Be Ready to Answer. In this sermon, Brother Buddy reminds us that we should be prepared to give an answer to those who ask about what we believe. And toward that end, he takes us over to Romans chapter 10 and gives a thorough explanation of what Paul is referring to when he says that he wants his kinsmen according to the flesh to be saved. The question he asks is, saved from what? Brother Buddy explains that very thoroughly, that he's not talking about eternal salvation, but he's talking about gospel salvation, or sometimes what we call conversion. Brother Buddy actually preached two sermons on this topic. We post the first half of the first sermon today. I encourage you to join us over the next few days as we explore this idea of being ready to answer. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
if the doctrines that we believe as primitive Baptists are the truth, then they will be supported throughout the Bible. Uh, if the Bible is not studied carefully, and if we don't prayerfully ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, there are a number of verses that if taken out of context would appear to contradict themselves. But if what you believe is the truth, you'll find harmony throughout the Bible. Now, one of our responsibilities as members of the church is to be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason of the hope that is in us. Now, when someone asks you a question about the scripture and you say, well, let me turn over here and show you what I believe, that immediately shows a weakness on your part. Uh, it gives the indication that you can't answer uh, that particular passage that they asked about in such a way that the truth will be revealed. And so it's very important that we uh, pray and study to have the ability to answer uh, the verses that people ask us about. Now, I've been ordained for over 30 years and there's still a lot of verses that people ask me about that I have to say well let me go study that so none of us will ever be experts on the Bible but we should be able to answer uh, questions about our uh, basic beliefs you remember when uh, Philip went and preached to the eunuch and the eunuch asked him a question it says that Philip began at the same scripture. He didn't say, well, I don't know about that. Let's go over here. No, he began at the same scripture. And that should be our uh, plan when someone asks us a question. If you don't know the answer, just say, well, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll go read it and study it and get back with you. Now, with that in mind, I want us to look today at uh, Romans chapter 10, which, if not studied carefully, contains several verses which would seem to contradict what we believe. And secondly, this chapter, more than any other chapter in the Bible, is used by those who believe our salvation is conditional upon what we do. It's used by them uh, as a common reference, probably more than any other chapter in the Bible. Now let me illustrate that. Look at verse uh, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now there's two verses that if you just lift them out of context and put them in a pamphlet along with other verses taken out of context, you could present a case that is 
convincing to many that if you want to be eternally saved from your sins and go to heaven, then there's a prayer, there's a confession that you must make in order for that to happen. Now, as we look at the, uh, this 10th chapter of Romans, I want to go through this uh, verse by verse, and I realize we probably won't have time this morning to cover it all. It's 21 verses. Maybe we can cover half of it, and if the Lord so leads, maybe we can cover the other half tonight. But there's two things I want you to keep in mind before we begin. First of all, whenever whenever someone brings up the subject of salvation or whenever the question is asked are you saved the first response should be saved from what if i came running into your house and i was all nervous and and stressed and i said you won't believe this i just saved your child well, the first thing you're going to think is, saved him from what? Did he almost drown? Uh, was, in a, was in a car wreck and you pulled him out before the car caught on fire? You know, that's the first thing that we would wonder. What was he saved from? Well, that word is new, used no differently in the Bible. But false doctrine... Uh, has taught many of the Lord's children to wear some special glasses. And every time they read the word saved, they look at it through those glasses and they immediately conclude that that means saved from your sins so that you can go to heaven. But the word save just means to deliver. Now there are some places where uh, the word saved means accept, not A-C-C-E-P-T, but E-X-C-E-P-T. Uh, it's used that way. But what we're talking about this morning is those places where it means to deliver. So that's one thing you need to remember is do not automatically assume when you read the word saved in Romans 10 that that's talking about your eternal salvation. Secondly, I didn't think about this until this morning. I don't believe, and if you can show me I'm wrong, I'll, that'll, that'll be fine because that'll show me that you've studied this out. I don't believe the word sin is used anywhere in this chapter. And the passages that I read uh, do not say that if you do these things, you will be saved from your sins. They simply say you'll be saved. So the question should be, saved from what? So notice the first three verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, I love the King James Bible, and I don't want any other version. First of all, if you study the history of translations, 
you will see the diligence that a large group of about 50 scholars went through to translate the King James in contrast to these other versions that started out with two men working in secret. And the King James, if you ever study the uh, history of the translation, by the time it was finished, every verse in the Bible had been reviewed 13 times. I mean, they were very diligent about it. There were three separate groups of about 20 men. This one group of 20, and they were at three different locations geographically. That one group would go through, let's say, the Greek uh, translation of the Gospel of Matthew, and every man in that group would translate it as he thought, and then they would uh, translate it, uh, review it as a group, and there are several other steps involved that I can't recall, but I'd encourage you to read that sometime. You can probably just look it up on the computer and just do a search for uh, the translation of the King James Version. You'll see how that none other version compares to it. But whenever we read the Bible, we want to put it in terms we can understand. Our job as preachers is not just to get up here and read the scripture and then conclude the service. You are, you are uh, commanded to read the Bible. You remember in Acts chapter 17, it talked about the Bereans in contrast to the Thessalonians. And it said, uh, these, those that were at Berea, were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily whether these things are so. Now, there was a time among some religious groups that the Bible was chained to the pulpit. Well, see, if what we believe is the truth, we don't want to hide it from you. We want you to have the same Bible we have, and we want you to check out what we preach and see if it's the truth. You see, that's the way the church is set up. It's not for one man to lord it over the people and, and ask them to, to do whatever I say and trust whatever I preach. No, they search the Scriptures daily whether what they were hearing preached was the truth. But notice here, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. When he said Israel, he was referring to what he later mentions in chapter 11, I believe. It may be chapter 9, but he refers to them as his brethren, his kinsmen according to the flesh, his relatives, his cousins, whoever it may be. So when we read this, when, when you read that word Israel, insert there some of your relatives, and I know everybody uh, can relate to this, some of your relatives who you know based on evidence to the best judgment you can make that they are a born-again child of God. 
You don't question that. They love the Lord. They go to church. They, they do good works. They're, they're unselfish. They're considerate. They want to help people. But at the same time, they sincerely believe that in order to go to heaven, you've got to meet some condition. Everybody in here has some relatives like that. Maybe you have some co-workers like that. And we have this same prayer, especially if, if that relative is someone we're close to. In other words, if it's one of our cousins that we uh, relate to and feel close to in every area of life, except when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. My heart's desire and prayer to God for whoever you may be thinking of, is that they might be saved. He doesn't say saved from their sins. He says, I bear them record. That means I have witnessed, I've noticed, it is obvious that they have a zeal of God. How many people completely sacrifice their own interest to be involved in foreign missions? We ought not to speak critical of that because they are, they are totally uh, sacrificing their own life and the pursuits that they might be interested in according to the flesh. They're giving that up in order to do what they believe is service to God. I mean, they have a zeal that I don't have. I've been invited uh, to go preach in the Philippines. I've been asked to go preach in Africa by other brethren in our country that have been there. I have no desire to go. When I consider some of the uh, health problems that I have and when I consider the when I hear the stories of those that have been there, that they'll say it takes you two or three weeks to get over it when you get back and you're exhausted while you're there. And when you're accustomed to sleeping, they're accustomed to being awake. I mean, it exhausts you physically. And yet there are people that do that quite frequently. They have a zeal and the source of that zeal. Notice it doesn't say a zeal for God, a zeal of God. The origin of that zeal is God. Now we know that just means they're born again. Because the root word from which zeal is translated gives the idea of a pot of boiling water. There's motion, there's activity, there's heat. In other words, there's spiritual life. They have a zeal of, not, of God, but it's not based on truth. You know, the scripture says, I believe it's in Galatians, that it's good to be zealously affected about a good thing. But we can be zealously affected, we can be motivated based on something that's not true. You know, if I, if I sincerely believed that in order for someone to go to heaven, they need to hear God's word and be persuaded to respond to it, I hope that that would zealously affect me to the point that I would spend a significant amount of time trying to get people saved from their sins. It's good to be zealously affected, but it should be in a good thing. 
Here's some people that had zeal. That's a good thing. But their understanding was the problem. Verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Verse 3 says, They are ignorant of God's righteousness. The key to understanding that is those two words, God's righteousness. Now, believing the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. He's speaking here of preaching the gospel. And he says, Therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Preaching the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Okay, what is that talking about? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 21. He, that is God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, the word might there doesn't mean might or might not. The word might there means here is the purpose of it. God sent His Son for the purpose that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So the declarative truth of the gospel is that because Jesus offered Himself to God and God's the one that did the accepting, that's the accepting that was important. God accepted his offering for our sin and that justified us. That declared us righteous because of what Jesus did. And the gospel tells the Lord's children that Jesus is our righteousness. So when we read that verse in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3, it says they are ignorant of God's righteousness. They don't know this that I just described to you. They don't know that Jesus did it all. They think that Jesus made it a possibility. Jesus made it available. Jesus offered it to me. And you understand, I'm not being critical. I'm describing you know, what many people that I personally know believe. And I'm not being critical of it, but I'm showing you here's what they don't know. That we were made the righteousness of God in Christ. It doesn't, it, it doesn't teach anywhere in the Bible that He made this a possibility. But we were made the righteousness of God in Christ. And you know what they're doing? They were doing in the first century the same thing people are doing today. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. They were just, that simply means this. 
I'm trying to do whatever's required to make things right between me and God so I will go to heaven. That's still what people are doing today. The only difference is these people were struggling with that from the standpoint that they were, uh, they were uh, struggling with the teachings of the law. So let's see what the Bible says about that in Galatians uh, chapter 3 uh, and verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law. Now since we've never experienced being under the Old Testament law, let's just look at that this way. As many as are of the works of the law... He says, they're under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Think of it this way to apply it to our lives today. Uh, here's, some, he, here's the notion that many believe. That we must continue in all things that we have been taught are required in order to be saved. Now, when I was growing up, and again, I'm not being critical. I'm just stating what others believe and stating what we believe. And if I wasn't trying to get them to stop believing what they believe and start believing what we believe, I don't need to be preaching, do I? That's my job. But I had friends that grew up among the missionary Baptists, and here's what they believed. They believe that Jesus came to offer salvation and in order to be saved, you must accept Christ. But once you accept Christ, it is permanent. You can't undo it. Now, of all the doctrines that require something on man's part, that's the one that requires the least, isn't it? Because all you have to do is maybe pray a prayer or even as you sit silently there on the pew to say, Lord, I believe you're the Savior. Uh, please save me. And you know what happens? They feel better. And so they think, that's when I was born again. You see, we should, full, we should be so understanding of where people are at. I'm afraid if I wasn't brought up among the primitive Baptists that knowing that many of my friends believe that way, that I might still be believing that. Because if I had the experience that, hey, when I accepted Christ, that was such a change in my life. I was, I was struggling and I was under bondage. And when I believed that Jesus was my Savior, that relieved me of that. But you know what that's called? Conversion. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer.
We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.